0: hey friends welcome to the make life matter podcast i'm angela donatio and each week i share compelling conversations with leading voices they encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world together we'll make our lives matter no matter what here's this week's episode Hey guys, we are in the last episode of a month on a series of parenting and having healthy families. Most of us are back in school, our kids, our grandkids, or I myself am back in school, and I'll talk about that in just a second. And we've been talking about how to have our kids get unhooked from technology, how to be healthier in that how to raise especially sons and knowing what they need most we looked at that with monica swanson we talked about fostering and adoption and how we can all do something angie grant taught us and today we're going to sit down with one of my heroes carol kent To talk about what we do when parenting breaks our heart. I don't want you to miss a minute of this episode, so we're gonna get right to it. But I mentioned going back to school myself, and some of you may know if you've been listening that I am now enrolled in the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. I felt led to their Masters of Leadership and Ministry program, and I have to tell you, the experience has been life-changing. It's showing me already the power of a choice. The MLA is a 36-credit degree designed to help and equip ministers to become lifelong learners. Maybe you're a pastor or a leader, you want to further yourself and the ministry God has entrusted to you. I want to encourage you because at only $250 per cre- credit hour, this program is extremely affordable for a graduate degree, and the format can be completed in person or or online, which is what I'm doing, to accommodate your personal situation. So head on over to agts.edu forward slash MLM to hear more about the program I'm enrolled in and think about that power of a simple choice and how it might shift the trajectory of your life. Lean in for this unforgettable conversation with Carol Kent. Have you ever felt like life turned out differently than what you got? Well, we've been in a series on parenting and raising healthy families in today's culture, which is not an easy task. But what happens when parenting breaks your heart? Carol Kent knows what it's like to discover a life of unshakable faith in the middle of unthinkable circumstances. Carol Kent is a best-selling author, and she's an international speaker for conferences and retreats. She's the executive director of the Speak Up Conference, an event committed to helping people develop their speaking and writing skills. She and her husband, Gene, have founded the nonprofit organization Speak Up for Hope, which benefits inmates and their families. She holds a master's degree in communication arts and a bachelor's degree in speech education. She has trained Christian speakers for over 25 years, and she has been a featured speaker at Women of Faith, Extraordinary Women, and Women of Joy arena events. She is the author of over 25 books, including the best-selling When I Lay My Isaac Down, and she's going to share her story from that book today, Tame Your Fears, and Becoming a Woman of Influence. Her two newest titles are 365 per day, page-per-day devotional called He Holds My Hand and Staying Power. I'm so honored to welcome Carol Kent to the Make Life Matter podcast. Welcome, Carol.
1: Thank you so much, Angela. It's an honor to be with you today.
0: We're working behind the scenes on a couple of things together, and I just could not be more excited and expectant about what God is doing. But this is the first time we've actually met, and I'll still call it in person, even though it's over Zoom. I
1: know, and it's such a joy to know who you are, because you and I share a lot of friends in ministry, and people have said wonderful things about you. Oh, thank you. I trust those friends, and I thank God for your ministry. So this is a real delight
0: today. Well, there's people that have just ministered to your life in such an impactful way, even if you've never met them. And you have been one of those people for me all throughout the years. My husband and I have pastored for almost three decades now, and women in our church have been to women of faith and heard you. I mean, it's just been, I feel like I've just followed you forever. And then more recently, I went to your Speak Up conference, and we'll talk toward the end a little bit about how that's been such a crucial way that the Lord has used you to make your life matter for the kingdom. And then more the most recently is reading your book, When I Lay My Isaac Down, and it's, it's one of the most impactful books I've read, Carol, in a very long time. I shared with you prior that I have a son that's 22, and mm-hmm. we've been in this series on parenting and talking about so many aspects, but... Parenting doesn't always turn out the way that you want it to. I've, I've hosted guests who've lost a child whose children are prodigal and, and you have a story that may not have been the story you wanted to write, but it's the story that God has entrusted you to share. And, and so I'd like to invite ha- have you just share your story, but I want to share something that you wrote early on in the book, Carol, you say, most of us will face an Isaac experience when a crisis is thrust into our lives without warning and without survival instructions. Our Isaacs are the heart sacrifices we make when we choose to relinquish control and honor God with our choices. Because I felt like no matter where you are listening today, all of us have had moments that we've had to lay something down. It's been a place of sacrifice, a place of surrender. So I would love, Carol, for you to just Take us back to those early years of your experience with your son that became what is now this book, When I Lay My Isaac Down.
1: Well, Angela, I got married to Gene Kent right after I graduated from college. And five years later, I gave birth to Jason Paul Kent. Mm. And he was a little boy with a sparkle in his eye. In some of his early pictures, he's in a sailor suit, and he did indeed grow up to be in the Navy. And he made his parents proud in high school when he was president of the National Honor Society. He had a heart for the Lord when on missions trips with his youth Mm group. And uh, I, I will never forget having him go out to Summit Ministries in Manitou Springs, Colorado. And that is a Christian conference and camp that teaches teenagers how to express a Christian worldview in a secular society mm. he came home and he said, mom and dad, I really believe that God wants me to serve in military and maybe even in political leadership. And I believe the best place I could get equipped to do that would be at the U.S. Naval Academy. Well, he finally received the appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy. And we were there in May of 1997 when on national television, all of those midshipmen tossed those hats in the air and we celebrated our young son's accomplishments. Well, from there, he went to Orlando. Florida, where he was in um, a a nuclear engineering study program and he joined a great church and he fell madly in love. And by the end of the summer, we knew that he and April wanted to get married and uh, we called home for messages. And uh, I I remember having this little voicemail, mom and dad, some things are coming down. We have to talk. It's at a moment like that. You wish your kid would ask two or three uh, additional or make two or three additional <laughs> statements that would help you to know what is coming down a little con some context yeah exactly and uh, we got a hold of him later he said I'm in love April and I want to get married next Friday and oh. uh, we, we were a little taken aback Uh, We knew she had been previously married and had two little girls, six and three years old, and we asked them if they would be willing to wait three weeks to be married in our then hometown of Port Huron, Michigan, Mm -hmm. with uh, the accountability of family and friends around them, and they agreed. And uh, I think you can imagine the joy we had when we met April and these precious little girls. Mm -hmm. We had a beautiful wedding on a picture-perfect day, and if you could see Jason in his navy whites and April in her dress from a resale shop, you would want to say, it looks like this couple will live happily ever Mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a wonderful first year of that marriage, but we did notice That Jason was beginning to asked questions a whole lot about what had happened with the previous marriage. And there were multiple allegations of abuse involving the biological father of the girls. And Jason got his first orders and they were to go to Hawaii. That would mean that the girls would have six-week visits with their father. Mm -hmm. And he had only been authorized for supervised visitation, but he had been behaving very well and was about to receive unsupervised visitation. And as uh, Jason went on, he unraveled mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And we got a middle-of-the-night phone call that shocked us. Our son had been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband, Mm. and he was in the jail in Orlando. And so when I look back on that time and I think about who our listeners are today, Angela, Mm. I know we probably have a whole lot of people who would say, Carol... Angela, I too am living in a new kind of normal. Life has not turned out the way I anticipated.
0: Yes, even if that's not their story, everyone can sit and lean in right now and and just absorb the impact. I can't imagine, Carol, as a mom, what it must have been like for you to get that phone call, the phone call that no mom wants to receive. When I was reading your book, I, I had to really stop reading at the point that you described the, the first visit that you had with him. I wonder if you can take us there because I, those first moments you talk about those early days filled with overwhelming, you know, grief and disbelief and all of the things I can't even imagine, you know, so I I would love to just have you take us to that early you know, window of time when you first saw him. But in context of that, it was a very clear observation for me, Carol, to see that you made a transition early on from guilt and anger to eternity thinking, even in early days. And that is not easy for anyone going through something that they did not expect. So tell us what that was like for you and how did you get even in that first few weeks, moving from such mm-hmm. such a, a hole, a black hole of of negative emotion, into realizing where God might be in all of it.
1: Well, that first week was horrific. Mm. I kept saying, "Breathe, do the next thing." Mm. I'm a firstborn of six preachers' kids. I'm used to multitasking, and suddenly. I had trouble doing more than one thing at a time. It was shocking. Jean left for Florida very quickly. I was at home pulling the last of the finances together for what felt like another mortgage on a house. Mm. It was a criminal defense of gigantic magnitude. And my phone rang and I picked up the receiver and it was a digitized call telling me that an inmate was trying to have a conversation with me. I accepted the call, and it was my son. He was sobbing. He said, Mom, I've just been jumped by 10 inmates. They were kicking me and kicking me in the head. He said, my two front teeth have been broken off. He said, I have a cut in my ear. I'm really busted up. They stole everything except my Bible. And then he choked back sobs, and he said, but Mom, after the beating, the corrections officers took me to the faith-based area of the jail. And he said, Mom, those men were just like Jesus. They washed my wounds. They brought me a clean t-shirt. One by one, they came and they brought me writing paper and a pen. And these men prayed over me, Mom. They were just like Jesus. And it felt like the conversation had just started and I had a cutoff. And after 15 minutes, those phone calls automatically cut off. And I remember hearing this deep guttural roar come out of the depths of my being. And I just lifted my hands palm side up. I said, God, I cannot do this journey. I cannot watch my son suffer like this. Please, please help me, Lord. And what I really wanted was for God to take me home right then. I couldn't bear to see my son suffer like this. And at the same time, we were feeling the pain and agony of the victim's family there was a father, there was a stepmother, there was a sister, and they were planning a funeral while we were planning a trial for mm. first degree murder. Mm. I got on that plane the next day and I flew to Florida. Gene had already had his allowable 15 minute visit with our son and he was not allowed to come with me. I remember walking in and uh, it took a long time, but I began to hear the shuffle come toward the visitation window. I knew there would be plexiglass between us. I knew there would be an officer listening to everything we said. Mm-hmm. And my first sight was to see the scabs all over my son's face. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the shock of that. I saw the the gash in his ear. Both of his eyes were fully bloodshot from where these inmates had kicked him over and over again. And for a moment, neither of us could say anything. And then I choked back one of my own sobs and I said, Jason, Paul, Kent, there is nothing mm. you could ever do that would stop my unconditional love for you, son. Mm. That's about all I remember of that visit, the 15 minutes I was allowed went extremely quickly. And I remember getting out into the parking lot and I got to my my car and I was crying way too hard to drive. And I remember just being flooded with memories of Abraham and his son, Isaac. And I knew that God had asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son on the altar. And one of the things I quickly need to say is that my son was no Isaac. Isaac had done nothing wrong to merit the sacrifice. My son had taken the life of a human being. And I remember thinking, but I identify with the father, the one who needed to open his hands and relinquish what he could not control to the God who loved his son even more than he did. Mm. And I just remember saying, God, I give to you all of my expectations of my happy family reunions. I give to you all of my plans to have my the joy of my grandchildren around me. Father, I give to you what I cannot control. And once again, that visit ended so quickly. And then the time in the parking lot went so fast. But I remember, Angela, going back to the scripture in Genesis where it said it was a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can't imagine Abraham looking at his child, knowing he would be the object of the sacrifice. And then they got there and uh, it says Abraham was building the sacrifice and his young son looked at him and said, dad, we have the wood, we have the fire, but dad, where is the lamb? Mm. And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. And then it says he bound his son and he laid him on the altar. Hmm. And I love studying biblical words, Angela. It just brings so much light to scripture and the verb form for laying his Isaac down actually meant in the original language, a lifting up. In other words, it was a supreme act of high worship oh. for Abraham to lay his Isaac down. Mm. And that was such an important picture to me. It was the beginning of me, instead of just questioning, God, why didn't you give my son a flat tire in that parking lot? God, why didn't you? Well, you knew his heart, you know, he loves you, you know, he was just trying to protect his children from the potential of abuse. It brought me to a place of realizing that when I can't fix something, I have a choice, I can choose to let go Of my situation, the person, the anguish and say, God, only you can fix this thing. And I submit to your authority in my life. And I relinquish all of my ability to try to take charge and begin to organize this situation. Now, Angela, you and I are both leaders and uh, we like to fix things. Mm -hmm. Is there any piece of this story you identify with? Oh,
0: so much, so much. And I feel like every listener can identify. It's it's heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching to think about what you have been through, all of the consequences of one act. Sometimes mm-hmm. we we make a decision and we just the consequences are, are life, they're lifelong. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm more struck by as I hear you talking is that every one of us has moments in our life that God asks us to to worship him in ways that maybe we don't understand. Mm. Now, he didn't end up taking Isaac's life. You know, God stopped that moment. But the, the point was that Abraham was willing to lay down what was most valuable and most precious. And that's a heart posture. That's a heart sacrifice that God is asking for each one of us to give. And, and that's what I wanted you I knew that our listeners would would want to hear that because we may not be walking exactly where you've walked, but all of us understand the pain, the agony of having to let go of something that we have loved, that we have dreamed about, the loss so many people experienced in the last two years, the loss of a new normal, all of those things. And, And what I want us to hear listeners is what Carol is saying is, listen, we may not have control over what happens to us, but we do have control over the way in which we are going to choose to walk through that situation, how God is going to receive glory through it. And that heart sacrifice, even in those early days, you surrendered, lifted your hands up and said, okay, God, uh, it, it's yours. I, I want to read a quote that you said kind of along the same line about the power of relinquishment. You said, when we release our grasp, Our relinquishment puts a stop to our manipulation of other people and releases the Holy Spirit to do the supernatural through the power of prayer. It's the act of trusting God when we cannot envision a positive outcome. But in the end, it's the only thing that works. I know I have walked this road. Such a powerful paragraph, Carol.
1: Angela, one thing I want to add is that often relinquishment is not a one time thing especially for a mom true and uh, we we say oh lord i relinquish my child to you yeah. and the next day we say i'm taking that back and uh, it is an ongoing process of daily saying lord i'm giving to you today and it it's something i can't control i ask you to be involved in this situation and i pray that i would honor you in the process And I want everybody to know there have been very hard days. It wasn't one prayer and it's over. That's good. It it was walking by a closet and seeing my son's naval uniforms Mm. with medals on them and realizing he would never be in the Navy again. He would never be wearing those medals. It was realizing he would not be returning to his wife and his children. Mm. We went through two and a half years and seven postponements of Jason's trial before he was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. And in the state of Florida, it's called a toe tag sentence. It means you will never again leave a Florida state penitentiary without being dead on a slab with a tag on your toe. It is, there is no parole. There's no early out for good behavior. It is, this is where you will spend the rest of your life. He had just had his 25th birthday Mm -hmm. and uh, before he committed his crime. And in October, we will pass the 23rd year of his incarceration. Mm -hmm. So we are still in the process of letting go of our dreams, our expectations, realizing life may not turn out the way we want, but it doesn't mean there can't be joy in the journey and that we can't find a place where we can use what's happened as a platform upon which we can make God famous.
0: Mm, Thank you, Carol, for sharing that. And, And I know you're giving us a very quick encapsulation of what has been a lifelong journey for you. And I appreciate you sharing that, because I don't want any of us to feel, maybe we've walked through something and we think, well, I thought I forgave that person, or I thought I moved beyond it. And then I was re-triggered. Or like you said, I, I walk by a closet or we have a new experience. Even the process of forgiveness is both an act and then an ongoing process. Every time a trigger could come up, or as you said, the fallout, I won't have this. I won't have that. I won't experience these things. And, and it wasn't just a sentence for Jason. It was a sentence for you. It's been a sentence for you and your husband. And and so it's been something you've had to choose to walk through. So wherever we are in our journey, maybe something is very fresh for us, or maybe we're on year 23. God is with us every step of the way. And what, what I love that you did throughout this book, Carol, is not only did you bring us into your story, you also gave us powerful insight into to critical things that we need when we are walking through difficult circumstances, I'd love to ask about a couple of those specific things. Mm-hmm. You dedicate an entire chapter to the power of community. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, because you give us a phrase that I'd never heard before. What is a stretcher bearer? Uh-huh. And what have they meant to you? Because I would love to not only experience this, but be this in the life of others. Well,
1: you have just asked about one of my favorite chapters in the book. I think whenever we walk in a difficult place as parents, you need help along the way. And I was used to being on the giving end of compassion. And all of a sudden I was needy. I was needy spiritually. I was needy physically. I was needy financially. Mm. And we had three friends over a two week period none of whom knew each other, and they were all from different states who contacted us and said, "Carolyn, Jean, we feel that God is nudging us to get together a group of prayer supporters who will be there for you during this journey. And we were so amazed that God had these three key people who we knew personally, and, and who loved us dearly and loved our son, who volunteered to help in this way. So we connected them. Mm -hmm. And one of those women was Kathy from Phoenix. And she said, Carol, I've read a book called Becoming a Stretcher Bearer. Mm -hmm. And she said, I think we should call your prayer supporters stretcher bearers. She said, it's based on that beautiful gospel where Jesus is in town And uh, everybody's heard that he's been healing people. And there are friends who have a sick friend. They need to get to Jesus, but he can't get there on his own. And so they carry him on a stretcher to the home where Jesus is. But it's so packed with people, they can't get close to him. So they get creative. They went up on the roof. They cut a hole in the roof. Can you just imagine the debris falling into that room? Mm. They dropped their friend down into the room where Jesus was. And the Bible says he healed him and he forgave his sins. Mm -hmm. Then Angela, I get so excited about what the Bible says next. It says the crowd was awestruck. (laughs) They had never seen anything like this before. And when our stretcher bearers came together and started praying for us, they also started sending tangible gifts. Mm. The little girl started receiving stuffed animals. Uh, The April's favorite color was purple. She got purple paperware, purple candles, purple Kleenex. I didn't even know they came in that (laughs) color. And they loved us with the love of Jesus for two and a half years. We had... Payments every month, we had made a large down payment for our attorney, Mm -hmm. and then very large monthly payments. And sometimes in the nick of time, enough funds came in to pay Mm -hmm. that bill. And we look back and we marvel at how God met our needs through his people coming in community around us. And I love what Eric Little, the Olympian says, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. And we experience that through the love, the generosity, and the prayer of God's people.
0: Mm, I love that. And as a pastor, I love it because I feel like that's the way the body of Christ should be operating. We don't always operate that way. I've seen the good, the bad, and the in between because sometimes we don't know what to do when someone is going through a heartbreaking situation. Some of us pull back, maybe we we feel like we're going to say the wrong things, so we say nothing. Um and, and so I think that chapter was so crucial for us to have an inside look at what ministered to your heart in this season. I've often shared with people if you don't know what to do or say, just say I'm praying for you or just avail yourself if you need something. I am here. Let's not assume we know what they need. Uh, I I won't give all of my thoughts about this moment in the book because they wouldn't be very nice, but you share about <laughs> someone who thought they were helping you. I'm putting air quotes around my word helping, <laughs> and thought they would write or call all of the places you had spoken to share what was, I, I, I'm just like, I can feel my blood pressure rising as I'm saying it, because I think what is wrong with people, but there are people, sadly, whatever the opposite of a stretcher bear is who actually end up adding to our pain. We never want to be that person. And Mm -hmm. so to know, I, I see someone in pain, I see someone hurting, I see someone struggling. How can I be a stretcher? bear to them. I found that to be so powerful. It's also a reminder, Carol, that there is no shame in us saying, I might normally be the fixer and I might normally be the strong one, but right now I need you to lower me through the roof. Mm-hmm. I need oh, you to I lower me through that the roof. because sometimes we just can't. And that story is so powerful in scriptures. Theologically, it's a little bit challenging because. His sins were forgiven, Carol. So it means he didn't even have the faith himself. It was his friend's faith that brought him to Jesus, which will kind of challenge us to think, listen, sometimes we're there to be the instrument of peace and get that person a little bit further along in their journey. Let's do what we can to, to encourage someone in, especially in a difficult season. So I personally love that chapter for so many reasons. I want to just ask you, what encouragement do you have for someone who's listening? And maybe parenting has been hard or heartbreaking, or maybe it's a different situation. I know someone very close to me walking through a divorce they never wanted to walk through. I prayed with a woman on Sunday at church who had just moved into her brand new custom designed home and her husband decided he didn't want to move in with her now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I encounter as we all do heartache. On a weekly basis. So, when you are talking with someone, they're just feeling suffocated under circumstances that are unthinkable. What encouragement, Carol, do you have for someone who's struggling to maintain unshakable faith? And it's okay if you have moments of feeling like the floor is falling out. We're not saying you're rock solid every minute, but we want to be able to finish well. We want to be able to maintain our relationship with the Lord, our endurance and our stability. So what encouragement do you have for someone to say, if I could tell you one or two things, here is how you can have unshakable faith, even in unthinkable circumstances?
1: Well, I love this question because it's been life saving for me. Mm. And one of the things that I had to give my, myself permission to do was to grieve. Mm -hmm. And I had been used to putting on the plastic smile. How are you doing? How can we help? Oh, I'm okay. And I needed to let myself cry those deep, ugly, sobbing cries because my heart was broken. And it's okay with God if we do that. When you read in the Bible about David, you realize that there were times when he was just flat on his face before Mm -hmm. the Lord. And it's okay with God. He sees that pain. He understands it. And and then one of the biggest things that has helped my husband, Gene, and me is that we try on a daily basis to look around and find one person who needs help worse than we do. And we ask God to give us an idea of how we can reach out in a tangible way mm. to assist that person in the name of Jesus and with love, with Christ-like love. And that, to me, is the antidote to the depths of sorrow that we have experienced. Mm -hmm. Because when you reach a hand to help somebody else, whether it's to care for children, and we find there are so many wives who we've met whose husbands are incarcerated, Mm -hmm. when somebody says... Could I take care of your children this Saturday when you go to visitation so you can have some time alone with your husband? What a gift that is. It doesn't cost money. It's a gift Uh, when you buy an extra sack of groceries and leave them on, on the doorstep of a single mom who's struggling to make her budget somehow work. That is an act of love in Jesus name. And it is such a blessing to me to see what happens when we look around, identify the person with the need, and then in an appropriate way, offer tangible assistance. That is miraculous. It does something for the person. It does even more for you. And it honors God in the process.
0: Oh, thank you, Carol. Those are practical steps that we can all take. Not only are these spiritual principles I've read articles that statistics show that as you're grieving, when you reach out to assist someone else, whether it's, I'm going to go to the homeless shelter and serve meals, your own healing process is, I don't want to say rushed. It's just, um, enhanced or, uh, you know, moves at a, a, a healthier pace. When you are reaching out to someone else, it can be hard, but to be others minded yes, and to realize I can still move forward. It also gives purpose to our pain. God never wastes our pain. Not only has he done things in Jason's life, but he's done so much in your life. As you've spoken, All literally all around the world. Uh, You've dedicated a lot of your life, Carol, not just to sharing this piece of your story, but to encouraging, especially, authors and speakers and, Mm -hmm. and speaking up with confidence, the Speak Up conference that you hold, which is one of the most renowned speakers and authors' conferences. So, share a little bit about Speak Up. You have a book entirely about speaking up with confidence. Because I want people to know there is life, there is joy, there is great purpose, even after great heartache.
1: Well, I I am so thrilled to respond to that question because I really believe God has given every one of us a story to tell. It might be to a handful of people or to one person around your kitchen table or in a break room at the place where you work, but be ready to tell your story and to tell the difference that Jesus has made in your life. I majored in speech education and became a drama speech and English teacher, assuming that that would be my life's work. And then I wound up in a situation where God started opening retreat workshops and other opportunities to speak. And I loved the Bible. So as I devoured the Bible, I wound up with things I wanted to share with others. And then came those first invitations to speak at retreats. And then I taught Bible study fellowship for a couple of years. And I realized that there were so many women in my class of about 350 women who not only had a story to tell, but they had a love for the word of God, but they didn't know how to outline it. They didn't know how to have an aim. They didn't know how to challenge their audience to follow the principle in God's word. And so I organized a a small seminar that we originally called Speak Up with Confidence that is now morphed into the Speak Up Conference, where we have a speaking track and a writing track. And our goal is to equip the next generation of Christian communicators. And we just had our first in-person event following the two years of covid People came from 38 states and three Canadian provinces. We were virtual as well. There were people there from South Africa, Madagascar, Mm -hmm. Sweden. And we thought, Lord, in the middle of all of the shutdowns, you multiplied ministry. And uh, I get so excited when I see someone come alive, when they learn the basics of how to communicate effectively, because God grows their confidence, they learn how to share the gospel in a concise way and they learn how to say to somebody, would you like to know Jesus? Mm. Or I would love to pray for you. And it is such a delight to me to be able to do that through Speak Up Ministries. So as you can tell, I get a little passionate about it. (laughs) With
0: good reason. Yes,
1: (laughs) Because it is one of the delights of my life Mm. to watch God raising up women to be the next generation's communicators. And this year, our theme was my yes is on the table. Amen. And I pray that for each of us, we have said yes to what God is calling us Amen. to do and to doing what he wants us to do with the excellence he deserves. Amen. So it's worth learning how to communicate effectively in written and in spoken form.
0: So powerful. So that was another aspect. I want to make sure we mentioned because some of our listeners may say, wow, I didn't even know that, or I knew, but I want to take this next step. And you have a whole book about that speaking up with confidence. Of course, there's a speak up conference. And I wanted us to hear, listen, God repurposes our ruins he, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to waste anything. You know, Carol and I were praying beforehand. And, and I've said this to someone who had lost their son tragically to suicide. And she said to me once, sometimes we choose our story and sometimes our, our story chooses us. Yes, You know, I have a young girl that I've mentored and she went through cancer at 14 and lost a leg and amputation as as a dancer, uh, but went on to write a book that I helped her to, to do. And so I agree with you, Carol, there's nothing, I don't know if it's more exhilarating to do it yourself or to cheer someone along and watch, watch some of the most Uh, you know, confusing or painful moments, or even just the joy of life to find its way to pen and paper or find its way to a microphone and know that your story has power and God can turn your pain into the passions of your life. Another way to make your life matter is, is, is to say, God, what have you entrusted with to me that you want to use for your glory? And so uh, I thank you for sharing that. I've been a recipient of your wisdom <laughs> in those <laughs> conferences and books. So I'm so grateful and, Carol's going to pray over us in just a moment. And so I want you to stay for that. But I want people to know how they can connect with you, Carol, online and purchase your resources, your prolific author, as well as know about Speak Up. So where would you like for them to go? And I'll put all these links in my show notes as well.
1: Well, if you would like information on books, you can go to Carol Kent. That's Carol without an E. C-A-R-O-L-K-E-N-T dot O-R-G org. And uh, there will be a shop there where you can look for any of the books that I've written or just put Carol Kent in on Amazon and that will work too. If you'd like information on Speak Up Ministries, go to speakupministries.com. From there, you can find out about the Speak Up Conference if you want that training or our mastermind and intensive coaching groups, uh, which again would be made up of speakers, writers, and leaders who are growing in those areas. And that, again, is speakupministries.com. From there, you can go to information on the Speak Up conference. There will be a, there will be a click away. And then our nonprofit ministry that benefits inmates and their families is Speak Up for hope. And that is the four written out speak up for hope.org. And if you go to that website, you can find out how you can bless inmates and their families and encourage them on what is often a very long journey. Mm. Thank you so much, Angela.
0: Oh, thank you, Carol. And I'll put those Links in my show notes as well, and, and anyone who's listening today you 're a mom you're a grandmother you're a pastor you're a leader. I encourage you to read a copy of what we discussed today, which is when I lay my Isaac down. just the value of of learning the lifelong process of relinquishment is something we all need, whether we 've walked through carol's story or not, and to know that god will always honor our obedience and our act of worship. So thank you for that, Carol. Before you pray, I always close with one last question. You've inspired so many of us to make life matter. We're eternally grateful for you and the way you've continued to put your yes on the table. But other than Jesus, who is that person in the Bible that has most inspired you to make life matter? That's
1: always a tough question, so I'm going to pick one of what could be many, and uh, that is Esther. Now, I don't identify with being a beauty queen, absolutely not, but I do identify with the fact that she was listening to wise counsel from Mordecai. Mm. And I think every one of us, no matter how far along we've come in leadership, we always need to listen to wise counsel. That's an iron sharpening iron experience. And we need to learn more from those who've gone before us. And she waited on God's timing. And I'm kind of a person who likes to rush in and take care of all of the details immediately in the most efficient way. But sometimes we have to wait on God's timing. And I love the fact that she demonstrated bravery and boldness, knowing it might have cost her her life. And then one of the taglines I have sometimes used for my own ministry that I really got from looking at the life of Esther is, She's an ordinary woman with an extraordinary God. Mm. And that describes me. I know what you would say it describes you as well. And I think for all of us who long to say yes to Jesus, Mm. it's a great way to say, Lord, you're in charge, not me.
0: That's right. Oh, thank you. She's, yes, she is extraordinary. She will have a very long line in heaven, but we have a long time to sit and have conversations (laughs) (laughs) and and you're going to have a long line yourself, but you know, what's going to be glorious is when we get to heaven, all this pain is gone. All this confusion is gone and we just see him face to face. And so what matters here on earth is that we steward, our story. Well, we steward what the Lord has asked of us. Well, worship is our response to the revelation of who God is. And he continues to reveal himself, even in the painful moments of life. So especially as parents, as we conclude this month on parenting, I wanted you to know that even when parenting is hard, God is with you. And that if you continue to, to just sit as Carol has done and say, God, I don't even know how to do this, but I'm trusting you. I'm relinquishing. It might be an over and over process. God will meet you every time. So thank you so much, Carol. And I would love for you to just close our time and pray over our listeners today. Let's bow our heads together.
1: Father, thank you for this time we've spent together. Lord, we acknowledge that you are our great God the God to whom nothing is impossible. And Lord, we lay before you those we love who may have turned their backs on you. Father, I think of the moms out there who have children who have run away from every good principle they've ever learned. And those who are struggling in their marriages and those who would say, I can't make it through these teen years. It's just too hard. Lord, would you be the comforter, the hope giver? the healer. And Father, I pray that every woman listening to my voice will feel you, uh, just your presence around her, and that she would hear your whisper in her ear. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You are mine. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I won't ever walk away from you lord help us to always seek wisdom from the word of god and father i pray that each of us would pray for each other Mm. and that we would reach out in community to other moms who may need help worse than we do and offer to help and father i look forward to that day when we see you face to face And we know that even though life has been full of trouble for many, full of difficulties and challenges, that we would realize that we can set our goal on seeing you face to face and hearing you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at AngelaDonatio.com, Facebook at AngelaDonatioVOV, and Instagram at AngelaDonatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.